This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Journey with us to a land and story that are beyond expectations. It's the Phantom Tollbooth, and this film is lit. Hello, and welcome back to This Film is Lit. It's been a short hiatus. Uh, we had a little end of the year, beginning of the year, I guess. Like both. Break. Yeah. <laughs> Holiday break. Um, but we are back. Uh, with our regularly scheduled programming, we're talking about the Phantom Toll Booth. Before we get started, we wanted to mention that this episode is, in fact, a patron request. Uh, if you head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash thisfilmislit, you can support us for 2 5 or $15 a month. But if you support us for $15 a month, you get priority recommendation status, which means uh, you can recommend something and we'll throw it into the lineup uh, as soon as we can. Uh, and so this, yeah, this one was requested by a Academy Award winning patron, uh, Kelly Napier, requested this one. So uh, if you want to join that group, like I said, just head over to Patreon slash This Film Is Lit and uh, support us for 15 bucks a month and we'll do the thing you want us to do much sooner. I mean, we'll still maybe get to some of the other ones, but <laughs> it'll take longer because the lists are... The list is very long. Yeah. Uh, we have every segment. Almost. We don't technically have a guess who. I, I see guess who notes. here. I just have some notes under Okay, well, we're still going to say we have every segment because okay. I see it. There's a segment with, called Guess Who in the Notes that has things unwritten underneath it. So <laughs> let's get into our first segment. Let me sum up. Let me explain. There is too much. Let me sum up. Milo is a little boy who's bored with life in general until one day a mysterious toll booth appears in his bedroom and allows him to journey to a magical fantasy realm where two rulers have spent years arguing over whether words or numbers are more important. Milo and his new friends, Talk the Watchdog and the Humbug, set out to rescue the princess's rhyme and reason thereby restoring order to all the land. That's what the movie is, too. Yeah, basically. So, there we go. Uh, nice and succinct. That's roughly the plot of The Phantom Tollbooth. If you didn't get a chance to watch it, let's dive right in to a not guess who, but kind of guess who, I guess. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. So I don't have any actual character descriptions written down. Okay. There are a lot of character descriptions in this book, but the characters are so cartoonish that I thought it would be immediately obvious who I was describing and thus not very much fun. Okay. I mean, because there's like a dog and yeah. a bug thing and yeah. a boy. <laughs> yeah. So that's fair. Fair enough. Um... 
I do want to note, though, that I'm going to be posting some side-by-side pictures comparing illustrations from the book. Oh, because they're illustrations. With, yeah, they're illustrations in the book, so I'm going to compare some of those to um, movie screen caps uh, depending on what I can find. Uh, so I'm going to be posting that in our social media feeds um, probably a day or two after this episode comes out. So be on the lookout for that. Okay. Cool. All right, we're going to get into our main segments, and that means first thing first, we're going to find out. Was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So I had some questions. Um, I didn't have a lot of, you know, this is always, a, with, with popular movies, movies that I know a lot of people have seen and that I know well, um, and that I know like what are like iconic things from them, it's sort of easy for me to, I, I, I tend to try to pick out things that are like, Okay, you know, the iconic moments, mm-hmm. is that something that happened in the book? Or I try to watch and see for certain details that feel specifically like a sort of movie edition, um, which is usually easier with, like, more modern sort of big... Yeah. Like, the modern um, filmmaking style and, like, the way Hollywood works now, it's a little bit easier to pick those details out. With this one, I, I had a very tough time in terms of, like, you know, mm-hmm. looking at that as, like, nothing in particular... Sh- screamed like this is a movie edition you know what i mean and uh but i also don't know like what are considered iconic moments or things from the film <laughs> to people who have seen it because it is not particularly popular so this will be interesting but i do have some questions nonetheless first up uh i thought this was interesting in the film the movie starts with uh we open up with milo and he's he's having a boring day at school and they're just teaching him stuff that he doesn't care about and then he gets home and he calls his friend and but we hear like his thoughts, mm-hmm. I believe, right? Am I misremembering that we hear his thoughts, or is it him talking to his friend? I thought it was we hear his thoughts at one point too, but maybe it's just him talking. I think to his it's friend him then. talking to his friend mostly, but we do get like the nice jazzy number that well, tells yeah, us the, all about it. Yeah, but no, but the he he literally has like we hear him having like a, a sort of existential like midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. About how, like, he doesn't care about anything and everything's terrible and boring and, like, it's empty and meaningless. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? This kid's, like, <laughs> seven, right? Or, like, this is a little kid. That's yeah. wild. Like, it's wild to me. And, I'm you know, I'm sure people do go through that at that age. But that was a, to me, that's like a, a teenager thing <laughs> and not like a seven-year-old thing. But uh, so I wanted to know if that motivation like sort of that sets up his character and what leads him to ultimately go through this toll booth because he's just like well i got nothing else to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) the world's boring and sucks is that the same motivation same kind of setup in the book yeah it's pretty much the same Uh, in the book he's bored with everything um he doesn't really see the point in doing most stuff um and the main thing i think is like school and like he doesn't understand why he's being asked to learn the things that he's asked yeah. to learn because like who cares you know right and and that comes across in the movie i mean there that's definitely there because he does talk about mm-hmm. you know like the opening opening is him in class with the droning of the teacher and like all these different things and you mm-hmm. can tell he just doesn't care about any of it but it also does apart from that <laughs> You get the vibe that he's just like he's like a nihilist as like an eight year old. I mean, yeah, that is kind of the vibe. He just like doesn't care. Um, I I do think the movie maybe comes off as a little a little more like melodramatic. Yeah, they add the phone call with his friend, right. which was really something wild. 
We laughed at that a lot because his friend, you can tell, like, does not care. His friend sounds so bored on the phone. Like, not bored like Milo is bored. No. But bored like, please like, shut oh up. God. Like, Milo, you guy, call me every day. You would and call I just me and you complain about care. how life is pointless. <laughs> Yeah, there's one. There was one line in particular that made us both laugh, and I can't remember exactly. I didn't write it down, but there was one like the kid on the other end of the line says something in response to something Milo says, and it sounds like it's the it was the most like resigned like yeah oh, fine like okay Milo go ahead. all right yeah go ahead tell me about how nothing matters we do this every day when you get home from school. It was very funny. But I guess that leads into my next question here, which is once he uh, does eventually go through the, the toll booth, and I'm, I didn't ask about the toll booth because I assume that that's, I mean, that's what it's called and mm-hmm. it's the whole thing. Well, the uh, title would be quite a red herring. Yeah. It wasn't actually wasn't a, toll a, booth. a toll booth. Yeah. But once he gets inside, there is a, uh, the first like sort of thing he encounters after the dog, or no, this is before the dog. Yeah. Before the dog. Um, is he drives into this uh the, this this like foresty swampy looking place and he runs into the lethargians and I the the place is called the doldrums I think mm-hmm. uh, and this is again sort of pulling um referencing his sort of unmotivated like yeah nihilistic personality that he's dealing with in this moment um uh, but they sing a song and they like cover the car in ooze and it's weird and creepy kind of um and i it was interesting i assumed it's probably i assumed honestly most of the stuff i asked i assumed was probably at least somewhat from the book mm-hmm. uh just because again I, I feel like nothing stuck out to me i don't know if there was anything that stuck out to me like well that's clearly a movie ad, but we'll we'll see but are the lethargians something that's out of the book yes um he does uh, he's driving along without really paying attention and he ends up driving into the doldrums and meet the lethargians uh they do not sing in the book though mm, okay yeah because they do like sing him into a stupor mm-hmm. in the film and i was feeling sleepy in that moment too and it was not good <laughs> it was working on me i was like oh no we just ate dinner i'm kind of <laughs> <laughs> kind of oh, don't fall asleep. You have to think yourself out of the doldrums. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he does get away eventually, and he meets the dog. Um, and I assume talk is yes, from also the, pictured on the cover. Yeah, it's on the cover, so that makes sense. Uh, but the, there was one little. This is a little detail that I wanted to ask about because I thought it was very clever, and I didn't realize that the whole premise was that this land he was going to was all like words and stuff. I had mm-hmm. no idea that was like. The, you know what I mean? The setting and everything's made of words and letters and numbers and stuff. And not everything, but at least in the film, most of like a lot of stuff is, but not everything. It's complicated. I yeah. don't know. Like some stuff is, other stuff isn't. It's very strange. But uh, one of the things it is, is the trees grow letters mm-hmm. like they're fruit. And in, it, it was just a little detail that made me chuckle is that when we see him driving past these trees, people are like are like, um, they're like harvesting, harvesting letters. The, the letters and uh, the 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 letters that are fully grown are capital letters and they're mm-hmm. like red. And then there's other ones that they're checking that are like green and they're lowercase letters. So they're not ripe yet. And it's a little detail that mm-hmm. I thought was funny and clever. And I wanted to know if that was from the book. Um, it wasn't mentioned in the book, like that specific thing. Not that I could find because I thought, oh, surely that's something 
that was like maybe offhand mentioned yeah. in the book that I just don't remember. But I went back and I looked and I pulled up my uh, my digital copy and I did like some word searches some word and I couldn't find fine. anything about that. But I do think it's a fun detail um, and it is a good like add on to the world because the the letter the letters do grow on trees oh, okay. like they're harvested from orchards yeah in the book so, so it makes sense yeah or like it's yeah it is a it's another detail that this maybe expanded upon because yeah i thought mm-hmm. it was thought it was clever it made me chuckle when i saw it i was like that's fun uh so the whole premise the whole setup is in this in the in the, in the movie is that there are these two kingdoms uh dictionopolis and digitopolis digitopolis um and they've they used to be, I think they're brothers, the kings mm-hmm. are brothers, and they used to be friends, but then uh, they had a big falling out and, uh, you know, fight over the, f- they couldn't decide whether or not uh, words are more important or numbers are more important, because Digitopolis is all about numbers, mm-hmm. and uh, Dictionarium or whatever. Dictionopolis. Dictionopolis is all about words and letters, and uh, I want to know if that premise was oh and then uh, ultimately this rift caused or was caused after I, I wasn't clear on this if this rift caused rhyme and reason to leave or they they left before that for some reason and that's why this rift okay happened i wasn't quite clear on that i don't have this in lost in adaptation but it is basically you can try yeah to, that is kind of a lost in yeah. adaptation so that is the main, I guess, conflict right. of the story is uh, this, this fight between these two kings and the fact that uh, the princesses rhyme and reason are gone. They're no longer residing in the kingdom of wisdom. Um, so basically how it's explained to us in the book is that these two kings ruled in different cities and um, they often had disagreements, but rhyme and reason would, were there to help them resolve those disagreements. Right. Um, so everything usually worked out. And then one day they got into the really big argument of which was more important. Mm. And when Rhyme and Reason ruled that they were of equal importance, that made the kings so mad right. that they banished I Rhyme do, and I Reason. I do remember that part. I do. I now recollect them ruling that they were. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah, what you said. I do recall that now. Okay, so yeah, I figured that was all the same. Uh, but it is a... It's an... I have to say, I wonder... I do wonder if I would have enjoyed this. I, I didn't... I enjoyed the movie, mostly. It didn't do a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I didn't... I didn't find it boring, and I didn't dislike it at any point. But I also wasn't like, wow, this is great. It was You know fine. what I mean? Like, it was just okay. Yeah, it was fine. Um, And I do... I think part of that is I think this is so hard to capture in a way that. Oh, yeah. Not only to capture like uh, this, this weird world in a way that works on on screen, Mm -hmm. but also just there's a lot of little details to kind of like the story that I think are hard to parse in like an hour and a half long kids movie not that it's a particularly complicated story and i think you get everything you need to of yeah out of the film but it just i'm i was getting the feeling as i was watching this that i was like i bet i would enjoy this more as a book you know what i mean like you would i had that vibe as as we were watching i was like i feel like this is just i would like this more reading it than i do watching it and part of that i think is just the and we'll get into it but i think part of it is that the the storytelling style and the filmmaking style has we've progressed so much that mm-hmm. the sort of the pacing and the 
I don't know, just the way stories were written back then for film don't doesn't quite work the same way. That's not true of everything, obviously, but especially I think for something like a kids movie. I don't know. I don't know. I found it just like it never really gripped me in a way mm-hmm. that um, I hoped it would. But again, it was. I never was like, this isn't good. I never thought that, you know, like with Polar Express, I was like, yeah. well, this is terrible. I never thought that. <laughs> I was like, ah. and like every now and then I kind of like smiled. Like, yeah, oh, it's fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's fun. I, I think part of it, I think you're right that part of it is that the story is hard to translate. Yeah. Because there's not that there's like so much going no, on. No, there's not a lot going on, but. But that it there is a lot of it is like kind of wrapped up in minutia is not quite the right word, but just wrapped up in like detail. Well, and it's a lot of it's wrapped up in like wordplay. Yeah, the book re- like, the book does seemingly. rely so much on. The book is like seventy five percent wordplay and yeah. like twenty five percent world building. Yeah, and both of those things are kind of difficult to translate succinctly to an hour and a yeah. half film. Yeah, so it ends up it does end up I think feeling a little bit flat and yeah. like a diet version of what you I get think, with the book. I think that's what it was. Is it did just sort of feel kind of flat in general in relation. Like it just felt like there was more there. To be had, and then we just didn't get quite enough of anything. I don't know. It was it's a, it was an interesting film, and I enjoyed watching it overall. But it was, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, let's move on. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Uh, Chroma the Great uh, is somebody who conducts the sunset, um, and he kind of looks like, oh, I can't remember which one that is. Uh, he kind of looks like Beethoven. Be- is, is it Beethoven? I think of? it's Beethoven. Who I has can, like the yeah, who the, has the, the big puff of puff, yeah. yeah, that's Beethoven, I believe, right? <laughs> no, is it Bach? No, I think it's Beethoven. I think it is Beethoven that you're thinking of, yeah. Yeah, Bach is the one who looks like um like any generic like English <laughs> like um not lawyer, what are they called? Um <laughs> the people who are barrister. Mm. <laughs> anyway, he's got like the white yeah. uh, like powdered wig look. Anyways, yeah, Bach I think is who I'm thinking of. So, uh, Chroma the Great, he conducts the sunset. Um, it's a cool little scene. Uh, and as another little detail that I thought was funny is that, and it was seems so strange that I felt like it had to be from the book. When he goes to bed after he does the sunset, he sleeps in Brahms in the sheet music, in a giant sheet music, or maybe it's not giant cause he might be small. It's hard to say. Hard to say, but uh, in a, in a sheet music that is the size of a bed for him of Brahms lullaby. Uh-huh. And it made me chuckle, and I wouldn't know if that was in the book or any of that. Uh, Chroma the Great is a character in the book. We do see him conduct a sunset. He actually, what he does is conduct color. Oh. So he conducts, like, all of the color that appears in that the world. That makes sense. His name is Chroma. Uh, but we mainly, what we see him do is a sunset. Okay. Um, It's not mentioned in the book that he sleeps in Bram's lullaby, but there is an illustration of Milo asleep on some large sheet music. Interesting. So that might be where... Which is not something we see in the movie. No, but I'm sure that's where the movie pulled that from. Yeah, that makes sense. It, like, kind of, you know, goes together since we see him conducting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought the lullaby was clever, too. All right, uh, this thing, good lord, this came out of nowhere, and I was not prepared for it because it's a hundred percent the I can't remember their names now from Doctor Who. 
um they're not called the faceless. What are they? Uh, it's been so long since I've oh, watched those seasons oh, of Doctor the, Who. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know about? what you're talking about. Uh, they're the Matt Smith seasons. Doctor the, yeah, the alien Who things. villains that when you look the at... The silence? Them, the silence. Yeah. This, this guy looks like the silence. He does. Uh, and I was... I'm glad you remember that. I can't believe I couldn't remember the <laughs> silence. Although I can believe it because that's their whole thing. <laughs> so you can't remember. But... Uh, yeah, I uh he looks like this silence looking dude comes out mm-hmm. no, he's just like a faceless, terrifying guy in a hat and a suit. Yeah. Horrifying. I was like, what is this nightmare? Because nothing up until this point had been particularly creepy. Yeah. Like there had been some kind of weird stuff, but nothing like this is like, ah, it's like it's like Slender Man or something. Mm-hmm. Uh is that from the book? Yes. And it similarly came out of nowhere. <laughs> And terrified me. I turned the page and suddenly there was the most horrific <laughs> illustration. He's called the Terrible Trivium. Yes. In, uh, yeah, yeah, he's called the Terrible Trivium. Um, and he's basically like a demon of distraction or End pro- of, procrastination. Yeah, he, well, it specifically seems like in the film he's a demon of... Um, like menial tasks yeah yeah. he like of trivium i mean yeah trivium of doing like like wasting time with little trivial tasks um busy work personally attacked yeah um not me over here wasting time (laughs) color coding my planner you see it's funny because i could think you can read that two ways i it's funny you say that because i read it more so as like an external force compelling you like giving you busy work and that being like mm. whereas you're you're saying it more from like an internal thing where right. you, you would, waste your time uh, yeah i would more read it like yeah sense, i read I it more as like that compulsion to like oh i'm gonna organize the junk drawer instead, instead of, of doing, doing my whatever. taxes right and that makes sense because and I think that does make more sense with the overall like sort of themes we get throughout the course of the film with the mm-hmm. like the the Lotharians and um, yeah some of the others. I mean, yeah, even the yeah. So like all the different people they run into are more like internal manifestations and that sort of thing. But it's funny in this one, I didn't read it that way at first because I guess it's because part of it is like the tasks he gives them aren't things that they're they're more like laborious busy work than they are like the kind of thing you would distract yourself and waste time with. You know what I mean? It's the same in the book. He gives them the same tasks, but it is, yeah, it is like, it's very like a mythology, like move this, yeah, move this entire mountain grain by grain kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and to me that read more like sort of the monotonous busy work you might get in like a, a a terrible like office job or something Mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, oh, I don't want to do this thing, so I'm going to do this other thing, which I think it works that way, too, but I didn't read yeah. it that way. I initially. think you could definitely read it either way. I'm, and I'm sure the terrible trivium would be happy to <laughs> interpret it either way. So yeah. uh, so we get towards the end here, uh, kind of towards the end, and they're still trying. So we didn't mention this, but they're trying to get to the castle in the sky, castle, castle in the air, in the air yeah. um, which is where rhyme and reason are, because if if. Uh, Milo has convinced both the kings that he can get rhyme and reason to come back and that'll solve the problems or something. Yeah, that'll solve the problems of, that plague the realm. Yeah. And uh, and so he's trying to get to the castle in the air and, but as they're driving up you know, this magical road up through the sky they run into 
all these strange creatures that I'm not sure exactly what they all are. There's a bunch of different ones. Yeah, they're, so they have to, to get to the castle in the air, they have to travel through the land of ignorance. Is that what so it was the, called? Yeah, I, so I all of these that. demons inhabit the land of ignorance, and they're all like, like they represent, you know, like bad things, yeah. like the terrible trivium, or like, um, they mention like, like hate. Um, yeah, oh, they do, yeah, and uh, like hate and malice yeah, and yeah. Uh, the, the, the know-it-all character. Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, and so, but, so, like the trivium, they get away from on its own but then uh, oh, a bunch of these other ones all show up at once mm-hmm. and they're all just kind of like bad yeah like you said almost like the seven deadly sins but different yeah like they're just like yeah malice and, and bigotry and stuff i don't even remember what they all are and uh he deals with these in the film by doing some like quick math in his head and then realizing that he can use words to to, to vanquish these these creatures um and the movie has this whole theme throughout the whole thing of milo realizing that the stuff he's learning in school actually is useful like that's Mm -hmm. one of the messages is like oh he finds different times throughout the course of the movie to use things he's learned um but in this moment uh he 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 does some math and is like oh if i do that and then i remove 2f and now i can shoot the word for for something <laughs> i don't remember no wholesome Wholes- forthright I forthright think. yeah he shoots the word and, and but he and what he's doing is he's basically shooting like the opposite like the good mm-hmm. v- word version of whatever the bad thing the person is or the monster is right so it's like instead of like uh instead of like uh, bigotry it's like love or what yeah. that's not what one of them but it's stuff like that and but he's shooting them these words with a, f- a number four cr- like bow and arrow catapult at the is that is that how that <laughs> plays out in the book it was very interesting and i it felt that one is one of those moments that felt a bit like maybe they're taking some liberties to give us kind of an actiony type of scene uh-huh. here maybe so what is from the book is uh, them getting chased by a horde of these demons as they're, like, on the last stretch getting to the castle. Shooting the words at them is not in the book. And I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about this here because okay. I wasn't really sure where to put it. I like the idea of it. Right. I, like, I like the idea of, like, oh, I can cancel out the demon of hate by right. shooting it with love. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's an interesting idea, especially for, like, a piece of children's media. Yeah. You know, it gets the point across. Yeah. But I, I don't know if it pans out here because they, the, the, the premise that they set up is that he's, like, if I combine. Yeah letters and, and numbers, numbers then i can defeat them yeah. which and at first i'm i was like great fantastic that's yeah. kind of like what we've been talking yeah. about what this whole time that like you know we should important. they're both important so we should use both of them but then like what what he ends up doing is like math that's not real math he and just, then he just shoots words and then he just them. shoots words i didn't understand yeah he absolutely just goes he writes a made-up formula yeah. And it's like, and if we remove this from it, like he can't does some canceling out of some sort. And that leaves something that then gets him to the answer forthright yeah. to shoot. That which he, but then 
moving on from there, he, he does no more math. He does no he more math. He just words. shoots words. He does use the number four to shoot words at him because it kind of is looks like a bow, like a catapult thing, kind like a ballista yeah. a little bit. He's able to like pull it back, but it's not the number like the it being a number. You could do it with a different letter like a letter shape you could use like a c that's a bow like that's like a shaped like a bow i don't know or a d is like exactly shaped like a yeah. bow um i mean, like I, I like the idea yeah i like what sure you're it, putting down i'm just not sure it works no i was like okay, like he, i don't think it did what they wanted it no to do. it would take some more thinking through to make that yeah premise sort of follow through where he does use both numbers and words somehow yeah I think it would just have to be a lot more clever than it is. They mm-hmm. just kind of like, well, it's kids. They won't. He does some math. We don't have to figure out what that math is. And the math might even make sense. to. I didn't pay attention that close to like what he's doing. I, I would maybe need to watch that scene again to be, see if it is maybe more clever than what I'm giving it credit for. But I don't think it is um, in terms of like what kind of math yeah. he's doing and how that well, leads and to it, his I mean, answer. If, if the math is a little fudged, I, I don't even think that right. makes a difference. Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, just, just the fact that they were like, use math and words. Yeah. But then no, just words. Just words. Just really words. Is what defeats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. But so, how do they get? They just get away from the the demons in the they, book. Yeah, they get to um, the castle before the demons manage to catch them, and then, okay, so they're just like driving yeah. in the car and they just outrun them, or something. Um, I or, think they're on foot at that point. Okay, but yeah. All right. But they do get up to the castle. So ultimately they get up there and he's able to get to rhyme and reason. And uh, they they fly around the kingdom fixing everything. Uh, uh, I don't remember. He doesn't even can. I don't know how I remember how he convinces them to or how he sets them free is maybe we get, maybe that's a question I have. That's a lost in adaptation of like what is supposed I to have happened there where they like. Because were they being held prisoner? In the, in or were the they... book, he like they physically help them escape. Yeah. Um, in the movie, it, seems like, the movie it seems like they were already able to leave on their own and they yeah, just weren't. They just so weren't. I'm not sure. Yeah. Be, and I, 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 yeah, I wasn't sure exactly what the what was supposed to be going on there. But as they're flying around uh, and one character we haven't talked about so far is uh, Officer Short Shrift. Mm-hmm. And I guess I should have asked, is Officer Short Shrift in the book? Yes. OK, because this whole thing in the movie is when he when Milo first shows up, Officer Short Shrift, he's like this little robot policeman guy. Um, or like he has like robot le- like a wheels mm-hmm. like for legs. He doesn't really have legs. Um, he uh, he's like constantly giving Milo tickets and sentencing him to increasingly longer uh, jail sentences for like nothing. Mm-hmm. He like hasn't done anything. Um, and he and he's like always like guilty, 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 and, and like he just yells guilty at him all the time. And then after Rhyme and Reason come back, they swoop in, and they're like a cab, and then they do police reform. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to know if that's what happened in the movie or in the book because that that shit was wild. Um. <laughs> There's no mention of reforming any policing tactics. Because no. well, well, it's funny because he yells guilty, guilty, guilty at him the whole time in the beginning, and then at, uh, at the end, after the rhyme and reason come back, he's like innocent until proven guilty. Like he's you know he becomes like a reasonable person. Yeah, and I was like, all right, it's, it's sweeping police reform when rhyme and reason show up. Wild. All right, a couple more questions. 
Uh, after Milo gets back in the movie, uh, <laughs> Phantom Tollbooth just yeets itself out a, <laughs> out a window. <laughs> and Milo's like, okay. <laughs> and I wanted to know if that's what happened in the book. Because it was very funny to me in the movie. How it's just like, woo! I'm out of here. <laughs> Especially because it's like that 70s, like... Yeah. It doesn't look quite natural. Like, they haven't got the <laughs> momentum of how objects move down just right. So it's just like, Wah. I mean, it is magic, so it doesn't matter. But uh, it's just, I yeet was the only word that made any sense for describing the action of the, the toll booth leaving his window. Uh, and I want to know that would happen. In the um, I desperately wish that it had yeeted itself <laughs> out the window in the book, because that would have been amazing. Um, but it does not. Um, it's still there when he gets back. Um, and then when he gets home from school the next day, the toll booth has vanished as mysteriously as it arrived. Okay. That makes sense. Um, speaking of, does, does, do, do, is there any, rep, well, we don't, you said that he doesn't call that uh, Stuart or whoever that kid in the beginning is, or Ralph or I think Ralph. his name was Ralph, yeah. Because um, in the end of the movie, it's like, oh, Ralph's on the, he's on the phone with Ralph again. Yeah. <laughs> Who's still just as like fed up with <laughs> with Milo as ever. Um, but he's like, something weird just showed up in my living room. Uh, and it's the box. Like the Phantom yeah. Tollbooth has now passed on. And it's like, ooh, it's, you know, one of that kind of ending. So there's no reference to anything like that happening in the. There's, there's a note left for Milo that says like, there are so many other boys oh, okay. and girls who need the toll booth, so we had to pass it on. Oh, okay. Kind of a So thing. there is that idea then. Yeah. Um, and then my last question was, does Milo then get over his midlife crisis and start enjoying life? Because the end of the movie, like, you know, as the music plays, is him, like, skipping through the <laughs> the fields and, like, steals a kite from stealing kid. kites from kids, <laughs> just being a real jerk, uh, and then riding a, a, a seesaw, a teeter-totter. Just really, really lapping up that eight-year-old life, and uh, wondering if that's uh, how the how the book ends. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, first, he's disappointed that he can't go back through the toll booth to visit his friends, um, but then he realizes that there's so much to do and see right here, so oh, he'll be okay. Cool. Kites to steal and things. Kites to steal. <laughs> I, I died. Yeah. He just runs up to that kid and takes his, his kite. kite. Come on, Milo. You little shit. All right. I've got one question for a lost in adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Was a lost. Yes. Yes. And I want to get unlost as soon as possible. I kind of had another one we talked about during uh, the previous segment. Um, but this one I wrote down while we were watching the movie because I wasn't I felt like I had missed something in this scene. When they get, it's right when they first get to uh, Dictionopolis, and um, he meets the spelling bee, mm-hmm. and then the and the spelling bee is this this little bee who just spells words and is kind of weird and annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he immediately runs into the humbug, who's his other like partner in crime for the rest of the adventure. And they start sword fighting because they seem to hate each other, the humbug and the spelling bee. And I couldn't figure out what the conflict between them was or what was supposed to be going on there. And I was like, felt like maybe there was just so much going on musically and like, yeah, there was, there a, was lot a lot of talking and noise. Scene. And I was like, maybe I just missed what 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 the conflict is here, or like what's happening, or maybe I didn't. Maybe it's expanded on in the book. Is there what what's up with them? 
Um, so Milo meets the spelling bee at the market and then the humbug shortly after, like in the movie. Uh, and they do fight. It's never clear, like, exactly what their beef is. Um, I think more than anything, the humbug just starts out as this kind of character who's kind of, like, annoying and full of himself. So he goads the spelling bee because he can. Mm, okay. Because the spelling bee is, like, that type of person who's easy to, like, right. annoy yeah, and get going. Yes. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Um, do they do they sword fight? Does the bee sword fight with his stinger nose? No, they don't sword fight. That was, that was weird. I was like, bees don't have stinger noses. <laughs> That's not how bees work. They got stinger butts. Yeah, I guess they didn't want to do that. <laughs> Because, yeah, he sword fights with his nose. I was like, that's not how bees work. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, that was all I had for Lost in Adaptation. Let's go ahead and find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. So the movie starts out with a very groovy musical number. I'm not sure it was a good substitute for Milo's inner monologue about feeling dissatisfied. Uh, the phone call we talked about, the phone call was just, uh, they tried. Yeah. But it was just too unintentionally funny yeah. for me to get anything yeah, out of I, it. I couldn't get over Ralph and his <laughs> just... Milo, can we talk about anything yeah, else? His dripping disdain for Milo. <laughs> I really could have done without the movie's extended Oh my god, I'm animated. Oh scene. Yes. That, that went on for It went on so long. That's one of those things where it's like, okay, you got you get you do the gag like once or yeah. twice and then you move on. <laughs> like, like and and the gag, like this this movie was 1970 right so yeah. like that wasn't even like we had already been doing the live action oh, it's not animated a like it's not new in terms of, anymore i mean mary poppins and, yeah I, I, it's a different kind of thing but similar you know like we did that all through the 60s yeah. right yeah i i it's happened before like it's not a completely new thing and i thought yeah he spends if you haven't seen the movie he spends after he goes through the toll booth when he comes out the other side he's animated mm -hmm. and he spins like three minute it's probably like 30 seconds but it feels it's i bet it's at least a minute I, I bet it is at least a minute um of like going driving back and forth and back and forth yeah and it's all from this one wide shot so that we can see it you know they're doing like a split screen thing and he's going back and forth and he's human and then he's cartoon and he's human he's cartoon and then he walks into it and he's like sticking arms and legs out either side and it's Again, it's like, okay. And every you time you get to do it once. Every time he sticks an arm or a leg through the toll booth, it's pointing the wrong way <laughs> for like the way that the other half of him is pointing. And I was like, can we just It's it's can we it's please? a fine little gag, but you get they 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 had fifteen seconds and then it wore out its welcome. Again, yeah. I guess that's one of those things that I guess maybe kids wouldn't feel that way, but oof, it's like, okay. <laughs> can we move on? I did not like that the movie had talk open his stomach to reveal the clock. I thought that was fine. I thought it was unnecessarily weird. I thought I kind of liked it because he he stores stuff in there. It, to me, he felt like a uh, he's like a stuffed animal. I guess that's how he came across to me. Is like he is a stuffed animal whose heart is like a clock, basically. I I, I was so taken aback by that first scene where he like just 
opens his <laughs> gut to reveal a clock, I couldn't get on board with it. All right, fair enough. Um, eventually, in both the book and the movie, we meet uh, Dr. Cacophonous Discord, who is the uh, the sound scientist. Mm -hmm. um, and I preferred the book introduction to him because um, in the book, he's not like literally smashing things to make noise. Um, he like opens bottles and stuff and like sounds come out and he makes like unique sounds by yeah. opening the bottles. He does both. I mean, he does open bottles and sounds come out, yeah. the movie, but he's also throwing things and breaking things, yeah. and, which is just kind of amping that up a little bit more. But yeah, because I mean, he does have bottles that have sound in them. Um, after the spelling bee and the humbug cause chaos at the marketplace um, because their fight that we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. um, they like knock over a bunch of stalls and stuff and they cause all the, this big mess. Um, but when that happens in the book, uh, for a few minutes afterwards, everyone's sentences are jumbled up. And they're hmm. all like talking nonsense because they've like flung the words and the letters <laughs> everywhere. That's interesting. Um, so then Milo gets uh, Milo and Tak get thrown in the dungeon for six million years um, after the incident oh, in the yeah, marketplace. Yeah. Um, not really, but right um, where we meet uh, the witch, whose name is Faintly Macabre. Um, I want to get some snaps for that name. Um, did they say that in the movie? Yes. Oh, I, um, I thought they didn't at first, but then when they leave, they refer to her as faintly macabre. So I guess she must have said what her name was at some point. I may have missed it, that that's what they were called. I may have thought that that was just like somebody saying those words in reference mm. to something as opposed yeah. to being her name. <laughs> Interesting. I can, I'd have to remember. I don't, I don't recall her. I didn't, I can say that didn't register with me that that was her name until you said that. Uh, but I do love the idea of a witch named Faintly Macabre. Mm -hmm. um, but what we are missing in the movie is her backstory. Um, she does tell Milo and Talk in the movie a little bit about, like, what happened to the princesses and, like, between the two kings, which she also does in the book. Um, but in the book, we get her backstory, which is about how she was actually power hungry when she worked for uh, the kingdom of wisdom. Um, like there's this whole thing about how she loved brevity so much and she wanted everyone to be concise in how they used words. So she kept passing more and more laws that restricted word usage until like nobody could talk. And that's how she ended up getting thrown in the dungeon. Hmm. That's just like 1984. <laughs> Isn't everything just like 1984? <laughs> I could be wrong. I've never read it, but that's actually more like 1984 than what most people say, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, whole, that is more like 1984 like than... Speak, I don't know. Again, I haven't read it, but I... Yeah. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> I was mostly joking. <laughs> um. So after uh, they leave the dungeon, they go to the King's Banquet, um, where in both the book and the movie, everyone eats their words mm. um, by standing up and saying like what they want, and then that's what gets delivered to them. Um, but before that, in the book, um, Milo suggests that they have a light meal, and the wait staff brings out light, and then he suggests a square meal, and they bring out squares. It's it's a pun a minute. Yeah, over here. Uh, they also have a course of half-baked ideas at the banquet, and one of the half-baked ideas is the earth is flat. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in there. 
Um, and uh, Tok warns Milo not to eat too many of the half-baked ideas because they'll make him sick. Ah, nice. Um, so when they meet the mathematician in the book, they ask for the biggest number. So he shows them a giant three. And then he asks for, they ask for the longest number. So she, he shows them a very long eight. Um, and that kind of goes on until they arrive at what they actually mean, which is the number of the greatest magnitude, which is when they start hmm. discussing infinity like they do in the book. So it's like an interesting exercise in like what you mean well, versus just, yeah. like what you're actually saying. Yeah. It is funny, though, when you say the longest number, so he shows them a very long eight. A very long eight is an infinity, is an infinity yeah. symbol, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Not really, but... But it would look a bit like A one. little bit like it. <laughs> um, the movie, I think, I didn't catch it if the movie snuck it in there, um, but I'm pretty sure they left out my most and least favorite pun in this book, um, which is uh, when they're, they're in the number mines. Mm-hmm. Um, and Milo accidentally drops a number and it breaks and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And the math magician's like, that's fine. We use the broken ones for fractions. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that, I don't think that's <laughs> I don't in the think movie. they snuck that in. I don't think they did. Um, also, while they're in Digitopolis in the book, they eat subtraction stew that makes you hungrier the more you eat. It's, it's terrible. I know, nightmare. <laughs> um, so the book, um reorders some stuff or no the movie sorry reorders some stuff from the book so i'm kind of like jumping around ish uh -huh. um but when they uh meet chroma the great uh, milo does try to conduct a sunrise in the book but he accidentally conducts through an entire week in seven minutes because he doesn't know how to like stop them mm. and so they just keep playing like faster and faster um, but since everyone is asleep, nobody knows what happened. So it's just like a week that's gone and nobody knows oh. about it. All right. That works. Um, Chroma also briefly demonstrate what happens if, what demonstrates what happens if the orchestra stops playing and all the color vanishes. Yeah. Um, I was a little surprised that the movie didn't do that. I thought that would have been like an easy kind of animation flex. Yeah, it would have been a cool looking visual yeah. to have them stop and then all the color disappears and then... Like, that would have been neat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did like, I will say that I, uh, it, it could have been hard to, not hard, it could have been easy to do the, like, going through a week in, in, in one, um, you know, in, mm -hmm. in seven minutes or whatever. But I do like the movie's version of just, like, it, everything gets all out of whack. And, like, mm -hmm. all the, it's just, like, all the colors are going crazy. And, because that, in a visual medium, that makes it's sense. It's easy yeah. and helps. If he just goes through a week in a minute, then you're done with that, or in seven minutes, then you're just done. Like, then it's just back to normal. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Whereas what we get in the movie, it's like weird. The sky keeps changing colors, and which is, is interesting. Um, the movie also cut out the Island of Conclusions, which you can only get to by jumping. <laughs> it's a jump <laughs> to conclusions, It's a jump Matt. to conclusions. <laughs> And in order to get back from the Island of Conclusions, you can't jump back. You have to do the hard work of swimming through the Sea of Knowledge. Mm. I bet I bet Norman Juster is insufferable at a dinner party. Just insufferable. Actually, <laughs> did you see the, the comment we got? No. I don't remember if we got it on um, Facebook or Instagram. My Aunt Julie 
is a children's librarian. Yeah. Um, and she has actually served on the Caldecott Committee before. Oh. Um, that's the award for yeah. the best illustrated children's book. Um, and she's met him. Oh. She said he was delightful. Well, I'm not. I When I said insufferable, <laughs> what I mean is <sighs> exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, probably. And, and I said specifically at a dinner party. <laughs> Not that he's exhausting and like I'm sure he could be he could be a very delightful person. I know nothing. I'm not trying to cast aspersions or anything. <laughs> and just sort of the nature of the writing. Yeah. And like the wordplay and and the the like a little bit too clever for his own good at times sort of feel vibe you get coming off the whole thing just makes me like <sighs> It's one of those people who's just like, all right, I'm going to have another glass of wine while Norman's talking. All right. <laughs> while Norman's holding court, or Norton, sorry. Anyways. Um, so at the end of the book, after they have gotten the princesses out of the castle, um, the demons are chasing them um, because the princesses don't fly like they do in the movie. Mm, okay. Um, so they help them out of the castle, and they basically have to get back through the land of ignorance. So the demons are chasing them, and then everyone that they've made friends with along the way shows up to help. Like, we get, like, a Riders of Rohan coming oh. over the hill scene, nice. um, which I thought was fun. Um, also, that's when we see Officer Shrift again at the end, and in that scene, he's riding a dachshund. <laughs> well, that's disappointing that we didn't see that. I know. Um, and my and my last note here is kind of um, a thematic thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think I like that rhyme and reason just magically make everything perfect at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. I feel like with the book impresses is more of a message of like there's still work to do things are improved but they're not magically all better and there's a, this other message that like there's still goodness and strength in some of the more like quote unquote unpleasant stuff yeah and I think the best example of that is Dr. Discord um, so in the movie, we see him magically become Dr. Harmony. I missed that. At the end, yeah. they like fly past his cart and now it says Dr. Harmony instead of Dr. Discord. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also another story that got cut from the movie, which is about the sound keeper, who is a character that collects sounds. And she gets so upset by unpleasant sounds that she ends up hoarding all sound in her castle. So the land surrounding it is now completely devoid of sound. And the people are like engaged in an active rebellion to try and liberate sound <laughs> from this despot. <laughs> um, so and so she has to learn that like all sounds have their place and it's not OK for her to just hoard all of them, even if she doesn't like personally like how people use them. Which I think is maybe a more positive message. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Than like discord is now magically harmony. Yeah. Interesting. It's OK for there to be discord. Yeah. Like it's OK for things to be a little bit messy and maybe for to be a little bit unpleasant. Interesting. All right. Cool. Well, that's it for Better in the Book. Let's go ahead and find out what you thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would.
happy endings only happen in the movies. I thought it made sense for Milo's little car to come with the toll booth. In the book, the car is like a toy that he has. Mm, mm -hmm. But I felt like he seemed a little old to have a car that you could like ride in. Yeah. Like I feel like that's usually something for like like little kids, you know? We've discussed this before with the with the <laughs> with the big wheel thing. I don't I, think I it's mean, that <laughs> outlandish for <laughs> I mean, the the car thing, yes, maybe a little bit more, but it's than like, like a big wheel. But when I was little, there my at my grandma's house, there was like a little like antique metal car, but I don't think I could fit in it past like four. Is what I'm saying. Maybe maybe some depends on what you're talking about. I guess yeah, there are some that are specifically made for like little like yeah like toddlers. But there are also those cars that are made for kids up to like nine, eight or nine years old. I guess. I mean, I don't think it's like a Barbie Jeep, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. At any rate, I think it makes sense that the car came with the toll booth. I agree. I, I, I think it's fun that it kind of drives out. And because it also is like it's in his living room. So it would be mm -hmm. weird if he had that like because that's the kind of thing you have outside. Like that kind right, of car. Yeah. You would have that outside yeah. anyway. So the, it, why would it be in his living room? So, yeah. Uh, I thought when he got to the doldrums in the movie, having it be, like, literally consuming him and, like, sucking him in was interesting. Because um, that wasn't really the vibe that I got from the book. Hmm. Not that it was, like, literally enveloping him. Yeah. I also liked the movie's visual style while they were on their way to Dictionopolis, where, like, everything was literally made of words. Like, they go over a bridge and it was, like made of a giant word. Mm. Um, I thought it got a little bit more boring once we were inside the city and it was basically just like words written on stuff. Yeah, they kind of they kind of mix and match. Yeah. Of like sometimes it was just like buildings with a bunch of words on it and then sometimes it was the buildings were word like it, yeah. it it kind of mixed and matched which yeah. But I thought there was some some visually interesting stuff there. Um, when they are at the dinner, um, when Milo is talking to the king about bringing back rhyme and reason, I thought it was a good change to have the spelling be like poke the humbug to make him like quote unquote volunteer for the mission. Because um, what happens in the book is that the king is just like, and the humbug will go with you. And the humbug's yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> um, but I thought that was a good change. Um, and it, kind of like closes out their, their little, little, little thing relationship yeah um the movie also cut a scene where milo and company meet a boy who floats in the air and gets closer to the ground the older he gets it was kind of a weird scene in the book um the quote I'm going to read is, uh, in my family, everyone is born in the air with his head at exactly the height it's going to be when he's an adult, and then we all grow toward the ground. W interesting, but it didn't end up being, like, super relevant to the yeah. overall story, so, I mean, I guess you could argue that not, uh, a, a lot, lot of, of it, it is uh, not, yeah. like, relevant to the plot, because this, this book is, like, theme-driven. Yeah. Um... But I thought it was a good cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're gonna cut something, yeah. I mean, there are ones that play a lot, make a lot more, that play more, much more directly into the like the stories. A lot of the stories we get in the movie, the little sort of vignettes we get in the movie, play a lot more directly into like the main themes of like yeah. Milo's character. Yeah. Which I'm sure that 
could get that with this, but I it's not immediately apparent to me what like sort of the message is with this vignette. Um, it was, it was like a, a a discussion of like perspective. So because like the idea was that because this boy's like head is always in the same place, he always has like the same perspective. Like literally mm. thinking about like the way you see things or like the direction that you see them from. Interesting. Um, okay. But Milo grows up, so he sees right. things from a different perspective the As older he, he gets. Yeah, yeah. Which I think would have been hard to translate yeah. on, into film. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. I thought having them get into the mine by knowing random math trivia was interesting. Um, I mean, it really did seem like it was just random math trivia. Yeah, but it was. It's but it's like, an interesting ah, you know, idea. You know a thing about math? Congratulations. <laughs> you know E equals mc squared. Good job. <laughs> um, and I think the main thing that the movie improves on, unfortunately, probably not purposefully, but I think the main thing the movie improves is eliminating the colonialism vibes Ooh. from the book. So there's backstory in the book about how the kingdom of wisdom was settled by a prince who came across the sea of knowledge. Um, and apparently the kingdom of wisdom previously was full of demons, which woof. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the end, King Azaz and the math magician pledged to clean up the land of ignorance and drive out the remaining demons. And, you know, colonialism this is a yeah. pretty common thing to find in Western fantasy. Yeah. Uh, nowhere in children's fantasy is it more obvious <laughs> than the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely does make an appearance in this book. Um, it's one of those things that is so ubiquitous in Western fantasy. I, I doubt Norman Juster even realized he was doing it. Yeah. You know? Probably I, not. Probably not. And, uh, you know, now we think a little bit more about it, and we're like, oh, hey, that kind of feels like colonialism. Yeah. Um, that don't feel great. But, yeah, so so that's a thing. Cool. All <laughs> 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 right. Yeah, they do drop that storyline in the movie. So yeah. let's go ahead and find out what the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Um, I thought the movie more or less nailed Milo walking home and not noticing anything around him, um, even if the song was terrible. Yeah, song's terrible. It's the worst kind of 70s, like, pop. Uh, yeah. Burt Bacharach. Non oh, it's so. I'm glad we gave up on that style of music. So not good. You just leave it in the 70s. And I thought oh, the opening was interesting. It's just like I didn't realize it's him not noticing things, which makes sense. But it, I thought it was like a weird because he's like almost getting hit by like fire trucks and mm -hmm. stuff. And I was, I was like, is this like a weird? Is he like setting up him as some like strangely lucky? Like, I thought it was going to have to do something with, like, luck or, like, because it's, like, <laughs> everything is, like, just barely missing him and stuff. Mm -hmm. And and then I, but, I mean, he's also just, like, staring at the ground. So I, I, I see that that's what they were going for more. Mm -hmm. Like, he was just not paying attention to anything. But, yeah, I, I, that opening, it, it really goes on for quite a while and is uh, not my favorite opening theme music in a film. I'll say that. <laughs> Um, when he uh, gets the toll booth, um, the line on the instructions, 
um, if not perfectly satisfied, your wasted time will be refunded. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the stuff in this book gave me some um, Douglas Adams vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I think we mentioned, we, did we bring that up at some point? No, I think so. I don't know. I I felt like we mentioned it. Maybe. Um, there were some changes to the doldrums, but it was like mostly what was in the book. Um, and the idea that he has to think yeah. in order to get out of the doldrums is definitely something from the book. Um, the Awful Din, mm-hmm. I thought the movie absolutely nailed. I thought The Awful Din was really cool looking. I thought mm-hmm. the animation style for that in the movie, it almost looks like finger painting yeah. or something. And the way yeah. it moves around, I thought it was super cool. Um, I was like, yeah, there's there's lots of really cool animation stuff, and we'll mention a couple more here in a minute. But I, I in particular, I thought that was one of the ones in the beginning that I thought was really like different and neat, like because it was unique. Um, Officer Shrift was pretty on point. He's he doesn't have like robot legs in the book, but um, specifically the scene where uh, like he sentences Milo, and Milo's like, "But only a judge can do that," and then he's like, "Well, I'm also the judge." And I'm also the jailer. <laughs> yeah. I'm judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> I am the law. I mean, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the movie nailed the uh, mathematician and his pencil staff that he uses to do math things. Um, and the scene where Milo, like, does a gatekeeper riddle on the math magician, where he's like... Well, if you always, if you agree that you'll always disagree, then yeah. that means you agree on something. Watch <laughs> Got him. Got him. Um, and then one of the other uh, demons that they um, encounter in the Land of Ignorance, the Demon of Insincerity, which was like the tiny little monster that pretends to be giant and terrifying. Yeah, yeah when they, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. And you had one here that you didn't mention. We talked about the words becoming their dinner, but the specific line that it was in the movie. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't know I was going to have to eat my words. That made me chuckle. Yeah. That line made me laugh. And that's another one that, yeah, kind of reminds me. It's that, is he, is he American or British? I believe he's American. Because it feels, again, it's one of those, it's a very Douglas Adams yeah. um, feeling yeah. line. It's that sort of British dry wit All right, we've got a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. So we mentioned the animation, but I did think that Rhyme and Reason at the end looked super cool in the movie. Mm -hmm. Very strange. They don't look like anything else. They're like sort of formless. Yeah, they look like like celestial beings. I haven't seen... Steven Universe, but is that what the <laughs> the no. gems look like, kind of, or no? Uh, I, I've never I've seen, seen it. I've seen, like, episodes here and there. I've, I haven't watched a lot of it. I, but I, I got vibes say, of, like, but, like definitely of like that vibes kind of, of that kind of thing, yeah. Is what I was I getting. And again, I've never seen like it, so I don't actually know. But in the Steven Universe, yeah. Is what it reminded me of, without knowing if it reminded me of that or not. <laughs> <laughs> This movie slapped me in the face with the 70s. Yeah, it's a very 70s. Or I guess the film. 60s, really, since that's when they were, like, making it. Yeah, but late 60s. Just, like, yeah, 60s, smack 70s. me in the face with it. It's, I mean, yeah, the music in particular. Yeah. And, and, and just kind of everything, stylistically. 
it couldn't look more like the late 60s, early 70s. Mm. I'm not sure if it could. So no, one of the things I thought was interesting, and I want to talk about it and see if you got these vibes from the book, and I think this is a very much a modern sort of reading of it, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think it was the intention, but I kind of got these vibes as we were watching the movie. It felt like this... So the, the main conflict we get is... Um, between the the numbers people and the and the words people, and the words people think that numbers are stupid and don't matter, or you know, and mm-hmm. and vice versa, or at least the kings, um, and 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 uh, the answer is we just need rhyme and reason to show up and explain. No, the answer is that both of you, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of b. It felt like the movie was going for this sort of enlightened centrism take, of like. But again, I think that's only feels kind of <laughs> problematic in a current, maybe not only in a current um, political climate and from like in the year 2021, like it feels a little bit less sort of, it, it, one, it's not a particularly unique idea mm-hmm. in the sense of like, okay, yeah, they're, oh, the, oh, the kingdom A hates kingdom B because they're, um, they're different in this way, and Kingdom B hates Kingdom A because they're different in this way, and actually they're not that different. They should just work together. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, fine. Um, but it does feel a little bit like... Uh, and to be fair, in the movie, neither of them are presented as, like, evil or anything, or, like, they're not. neither of them are doing anything that's, like, evil or, like, yeah. bad. They yeah. just, like, have a disagreement. And so I think the message works. And again, I'm applying a lot of like current day baggage to this this narrative. <laughs> but when when anytime I see sort of in narratives these days of like two political parties, shall we say, which essentially they are, right? And then the message of the movie is the answers the somewhere in the middle. I I have very little patience for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And and then and also I think that was uh, sort of exacerbated by like the answer to this being rhyme and reason, which again I think is is very true and applicable applicable in the sense that you want your your world to be sort of ruled by reasonable discourse and like understanding and mm-hmm. and and reason, you know, logic. Like mm-hmm. that's a very much uh, should be a basis of how you construct your worldview and figure out you know what worldview moral stance political stance or whatever makes the most sense absolutely but there's something about like the deity of reason as like this weird and again i think this is all it's i think that yes um that particular message which is something from the book yeah um leaves a bad taste in our mouths here in 2021 because we are approaching it now with for us 30 years of baggage of the ideas of reason and common sense being co-opted by people who use them disingenuously and that's what it is and it's it's because rhyme and reason to me feels like common sense as opposed because i'm 100 percent on board with reason ruling the day we that's absolutely you know what i mean like it's uh, the, one of the biggest issues of, of the last, you know, four four plus longer years is a lack of critical thinking and reason mm-hmm. in in the discourse and that sort of thing, um, and on particularly on one side. But uh, I, there is that the 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 canard or whatever of com, quote unquote common sense, yeah. which is to me, I was getting that 
quote-unquote common sense vibes from rhyme and reason Mm -hmm. and then also the answer being like oh they're both they're both silly and dumb you know they're not silly but like it it was just that like i kept getting like peak enlightened centrism vibes (laughs) from it and i it was i knew that wasn't the point right and especially not at the time when written but it it still bothered me (laughs) now to speak on the idea of like words and numbers being of equal importance, um, one of the messages at the also, end of the book. Also, they're not. Words are more important. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm they're just, important in different ways. I, they are. <laughs> one of the messages at the end of the book, which I don't think I caught in the movie, and maybe you'll remember if okay. I didn't, um, but one of the messages at the end is that like. It's not so much what you're learning, but how you learn to use what you're learning. So for me, and again, I'm applying a 2021 perspective as a former educator. We're only five days post coup here, so let's put that up to put this all in perspective. Um, of this idea that if you tout the humanities over STEM or mm-hmm. STEM over the humanities, mm-hmm. you end up with a mess. Yeah. You need balance. Right. I, 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 yes, I agree. And I agree. And I think that's totally a valid viewpoint and i think if that is the message that you're that you you got from the book i don't know how much that came across in the movie necessarily yeah i I don't know that it did because it does feel a little more like they're pushing which is again where you i get the bad vibes from i I get those weird like (sighs) again enlightened centrist like peak reason big brain vibes from is that the is like it, it felt more like just like stem will save you mm-hmm. like stem will save the world like doing math at a wall will save will unlock rhyme and reason and save the world and right. i know that and again that wasn't the only i'm not i'm trying that's a little reductive it's a lot reductive and i'm not saying that's what the movie was saying at all it's just there was elements of the like i couldn't shake that feeling i mm-hmm. got from certain elements of it of just like Ugh. I don't I don't know. I think it does work overall and I don't think and again we I've said it we said it several times but I don't think that's not what the what the story was going for. Mm-hmm. Um and again we we're coming at it from the current year we're in as opposed to from 1970 right. where I feel like it's a little bit different. Um and so yeah, it's just interesting and I I was I would be interested to see if anybody else got similar vibes. I think part of that I'm bringing a lot of extra baggage from it of coming from sort of being a part of the sort of skeptical online uh like atheist sphere mm-hmm. and like what that devolved into in certain sects of it like certain yeah. parts of it definitely devolved into these weird like reason bro like toxic horrible like you know the gamergate side yeah. of the internet um well it, it can it can circle back in on itself and it, it just like doubles back where you can be so focused on reason, reason, reason yeah. 
and we should be devoid of all emotion and just reason that it like turns inward on itself and it's just emotion again yeah yes absolutely i just want to mention i posted a a tweet about this on our twitter after we watched the movie last night but uh faintly macabre is voiced by june foray um who also did the voice work for the fairy godmother in cinderella um and I, i recognized her voice during her scene i was like who is that so i went and looked it up and it's the fairy godmother from disney's cinderella in 1950 and their character designs oh, yeah. are like almost exactly, almost the, exactly same. the same. I thought it was very funny in the sense I was like, <laughs> I haven't even seen Cinderella in since I was a little kid. Yeah, it's not one of those Disney movies I rewatch very often. And I was like, that's that's the fairy godmother from Cinderella, and I didn't even realize it was the voice until you posted that. And I was like, yeah. good lord! And I'm sure that was a little bit of just sort of like tongue in cheek, like fun that the animators I had hope would, so. <laughs> would be my guess yeah. is that they're like, you know, haha, it's uh, her, it's it's the fairy it's godmother, fairy godmother. We'll just draw her as the yeah, fairy godmother, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely her, uh, probably her most iconic role. Yeah. I will say one of the me- explicit messages in the movie that I really enjoyed is that the uh, there's a whole line, um, and I, I can't remember who says it. Might be Rhyme and Reason? Yeah, it's one of them. Um, uh, they basically say, uh, don't worry about making mistakes. We learn more from getting things wrong. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes we learn more from getting things. Is the line in the book? It is in the okay, book. Okay, if you can read it. Cool. I can find it. Because I, 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 I really enjoyed that, and it's something I talk about a lot when... I don't know. I don't know if I talk about it a lot, but it, it is, a, is a thing I believe a lot is that, you know, uh, failing and 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 more more specifically, I think, teaching children that it's OK to fail and not only OK, but good to fail um, as long as you do it the right way and learn from it um, and, and teaching because it, it's one of those things where you can if you if you don't instill like a, a healthy sort of like appreciation for failing mm-hmm. uh, it can paralyze children in in the sense of like mm-hmm. as soon as if they're not if they don't immediately succeed at something they will abandon it or give up on it and i think it is important to to sort of s- spread that message and teach that message message at a young age that failure is okay as long as you do it you know don't let it sort of define you kind of thing which it's it there's a certain way to say it that feels less redu- like less patronizing and less um cliche and I think this the book does a pretty good yeah. job of it. Go ahead and read. You must never feel badly about making mistakes, explained Reason quietly, as long as you take the trouble to learn from them. For you often learn more by being wrong for the right reasons than you do by being right for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, I think that's... And Milo the... says, because uh, it leads into what I was talking about earlier. Go ahead. Um, Um, But there's so much to learn, he said with a thoughtful frown. Yes, that's true, admitted Rhyme, but it's not just learning things that's important. It's learning what to do with what you learn and learning why you learn things at all that matters. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, I liked, I liked that whole little, the whole little spiel. Um, That was nice. I have to talk about your note that says that the dodecahedron looks like a D20. Because it does. Because it is. <laughs> That's what a D20 is. It is a dodecahedron. But okay. <laughs> That's what a D20 is. But I thought, no, a D20 is a 20-sided die. Isn't a dodecahedron 12 faces? Oh, oh is it 12? Sorry. Yeah. Yes, I thought it was. No, you're right. Get on my level. Sorry. 
it's yes no it is a 12-sided die sorry yeah i miss i miss took but it also looks a little different in the illustration it looks more like a dude with like multiple faces like a dude oh like like they have like a person has like a body yeah Uh, as opposed to just being like the actual shape right gotcha okay interesting yeah sorry what is it 21 then uh, i can't I don't know What's it's a d20 that's what it is that's all no, i know but it has a yeah but a, a d12 is a, a dodecahedron venta something probably mm, yeah maybe yeah vent ventahedron something like that uh 20 sided polygon it's an icosagon oh man not even close no. icosagon how, that's a pretty how sweet am I name pronouncing though. that can i get a pronunciation if you please Icosagon. 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 Wow. All right. So now we know. Or it's a D20. Or it's a D20. Yeah, you can just call it D20, I guess. Anyways, that's it. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get to the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterward. I really enjoyed this book. I'm kind of sad that I missed it as a kid because I think I would have really liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really say the same about the movie. Um, like we said at the beginning of the episode, it was fine. Yeah. It slapped me in the face with the 70s, but it was fine. Yeah. Um, but I could also see how you could like the movie if it was something that you grew up with and watched as a kid. Yeah, for sure. Um, And while I did like the book a lot, I can also totally see how someone could read it and find it boring. The main thing that the book has going for it is the wordplay aspect. So if you aren't into that, Mm. mm, yeah, you know, right. Um, But I do like wordplay. And I I think the book has more and better wordplay in general. It's a pun a minute. Um, I would seriously love to, like, analyze this book and figure out what the pun density per 100 words is. <laughs> um, I could just picture, like, Norton Juster, like, he's. I feel like he had to have had, like, a book of idioms yeah. and was just, like, sitting at his desk flipping through it, like, what can I do today? <laughs> what can I do today? Um, the movie tries, but to me, it doesn't seem as interested in either really living up to what the book does or trying to really build on it and improve it. Um, I also felt like the book had a better overall message. Uh, The movie just cleans things up really tidily at the end and everything becomes perfect pretty quickly. Uh, But I I preferred the message about still needing to grow and improve things. Uh Um, So for those reasons, I'm going to give this one to the book. There you have it in the battle of the phantom tollbooth versus the phantom tollbooth. The phantom tollbooth wins. <laughs> uh, as always, you can do us a giant favor. Head over to patreon.com slash this film is it. Like I mentioned in the beginning, support us for two, five or $15 a month and get access to different things. We mentioned this on a Facebook and Twitter post and that sort of thing, but um, we're doing a new thing in 2021 where at whatever level you support us at on Patreon, We'll be posting uh, what episodes will be coming out a month ahead of time. So hold the whole next month's worth of episodes. So two, but, you know, in 
but you'll you'll know for much further ahead of time if you're interested in trying to read along, mm-hmm. um, especially for reading along because that you know takes a little bit longer than watching the movie. Um, so that's a perk you get uh, on Patreon, and we're doing we're having scheduled uh, bonus episodes for the five dollar level, five dollar and up level. Um, we'll we'll have at least one bonus episode every month. We're going to schedule those out so we don't miss them like we have been or had you know kind of previously. Uh, been a little bit more flexible and when we did those episodes we want to make that a more consistent thing um so we're going to do scheduled at least once a month and then there will be extra episodes here and there where we have other things to talk about movies tv shows that sort of thing um and then uh that was it (laughs) i think right that was the yeah that was the whole post that was the whole post all right but uh you can also do us a giant favor if you don't support us on patreon which is fine you can head on over to uh itunes or stitcher wherever you listen to our show give us a five-star rating and a review we appreciate that very much also if you want to you can follow us on facebook twitter instagram goodreads all of our social media uh the main reason you want to do that uh we post lots of cool stuff pictures behind the scenes stuff a little bit um but most importantly we want to get your feedback on the stuff we talk about we'll be posting uh posts about the phantom toll booth friday i guess normally. friday yeah i usually do follow-up polls on friday um so i post a poll on each one of our social media platforms asking you guys to weigh in on whether you prefer the book or the movie um if you haven't you know both read and watched that's fine you can still weigh in if you just want to talk about like how much you loved the book as a kid or yeah um, even if you don't vote which the yeah. voting is fine and interesting but uh, we're more interested in if you comment and leave feedback yeah. about what you liked or didn't or you know mm-hmm. any feelings you had on it is what we're more interested in because then we read those and talk about that stuff on our prequel episodes katie speaking of prequel episodes mm. what's next Up next, we are doing something that I am really excited about. We are going to be talking about The Little Mermaid. Oh, yes. So that is a short story, fairy tale, by uh, one Hans Christian Andersen and the 1989 Disney film. Back-to-back, no, back-to-back-to-back animated films? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Polar Express, technically, and then Phantom Tollbooth, and... But we have something big coming up at the beginning of February, and I needed a shorter yeah. item in here. That's so fair. That's fair. That is fair. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. In one week's time, we'll be talking uh, prequel, learning a little bit about The Little Mermaid and some other stuff. And in two weeks' time, we're coming back and talking about Disney's The Little Mermaid. So get excited. Because we're going to go taking a little adventure under the sea. I'm going to cut all that out. Anyways, <laughs> until next time, guys, gals, non-binary, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.